Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Hi, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us and watching this on our uh, YouTube channel. We are so glad you're here. It's an honor for me to be able to preach to you this morning. We are in our series on Lent. Um, Lent is a special time in the church calendar where we anticipate, uh, not too quickly, but we anticipate the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so if you want to... Um, Join with us on this journey more deeply. You can look at our resource guide on our website. We also have copies, hard copies of that resource guide that your congregational leads or staff members can get to you. Um, last week, David spoke about the invitation to experience Jesus as the living water. And the idea was like there's a question of whether or not we can experience true resurrection life. As we go further into this series called Longing for Rebirth, we're going to follow this pattern of baptism. And today we want to ask the question, do we need Jesus? Or why do we need Jesus? We're trying to establish this idea that, that that's a question in our society. Do, do we really need Jesus in order to thrive, in order to experience resurrection, in order to have um, this, this longing for purpose and meaning and significance in our life. And so I have three points, like any good preacher would have today. I have three points I want to walk you through today. The first one's a bit longer, and, and I hope you can stick with me, because I think it's an important basis for the, this larger question. And then two points that are a bit quicker at the end. So the question today is, why do we need Jesus? And first, I would say, I believe that we need Jesus because the resurrection happened in history, meaning that Jesus is the truth. Years ago, I had a conversation with someone in Uptown who had happily shared his spiritual views. He had been raised in a conservative religious home, yet in our conversation, he proudly dismissed traditional Christianity with his faith about Jesus. He said his reason was that it had substituted belief for reason. Later on in the conversation, I asked him, well, what sort of spirituality do you practice, if, if any? Thinking maybe he didn't practice any, but he said, uh, I have a personal view of the, the universe, um, and I think it's you know, unique to me. And so he said, I, I meditate, I participate in yoga, I, I believe kind of in like this mother nature um, reality, and I use a Ouija board. And I thought, well, that is unique to you probably. I don't know if anybody combines all those things together. But of course, he ended the conversation by saying, these were true just for him. And I, I think that that's not an uncommon thought, is it? We live in a highly spiritual uh, world, a world that is highly spiritual, but doesn't believe that that spirituality goes beyond personal preferences. I think all of us have probably had an encounter like this where a friend or someone that, that we're talking with shares um, that they believe that naturalism is rational and reasonable while faith, like while religion is built on feelings and therefore can be whatever we want it to be. The idea is that the search for God or God or something bigger than ourselves is common. Most people look for this inner spirituality 
which is all about what we feel and think deep within our own individual beings. Spirituality is, is inward. It's based on experience. It's based on what we can dream up in our own minds. It makes, it's kind of what makes sense for us to deal with the world that we're in. And that's really what spirituality is. It's, it's for us. It's an inward thing. And the idea in our context and culture today, it's a popular one, is as long as that doesn't bother others, it can be true for me, and no one else should or can judge it. But I think the scriptures speak to this differently. In the scriptures, it's revealed that the true God calls us outdoors and outside of our own feelings and in our experiences into a history where we cannot ascend to God on our own and our own inner spirituality, but rather that the God of the universe descends down to us in the person and work of Jesus. Scripture teaches us that we don't naturally become born again with water and spirit. As it says in John 3, that, we sh- that Jesus teaches that we should be born with water and spirit. But that flesh instead gives birth to flesh. That our hearts, as the Bible speaks of, really is just w- w- what they mean by hearts is just our inner being, are easily deceived as they are captivated by idols and darkness. The prophet Jeremiah declares the heart, our mind, our our will, our desire, our inner being is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? He says in chapter 17, verse 9. I think that Jeremiah is saying that we often look for a God that we can manage rather than a God that is actually there. But because Jesus actually lived and died and raised to life in real time in history, it means that he exists outside of our personal desires and experience. And if God exists outside of our personal desires and experience, it means that we can't dictate uh, who God is. We can't control God. We can't determine God. We can't dictate morality to God. Maybe put more simply, if Jesus is a historical figure, that conquered the grave, then we can't determine our own truth because Jesus is truth objectively. It means the God of history exists outside of our own minds and bodies and ideas and desires. But it's because our heart, our inner being is deceitful that we bend in on ourselves. And it's because of this bending in on ourselves This deception that can happen as we search for meeting on our own apart from the very word of God. That we need this external word, this outside word that's beyond our inner self that goes directly into our inner being. We need a word that stops our inward bent, stops our spin and gives us a new heart, a new mind and new desires. See, our inner beings left alone apart from the objective God of the universe, we create our own spiritualities and therapies and programs that arise out of general revelation. I mean, we all, I I think that there's a sense where we, we want meaning. We know there's something deeper in life. We want, um, something in the world that, that provides purpose for us. 
We know there is something bigger, but we distort that general revelation and understanding that there's something bigger to make it whatever we want it to be. Yet the good news of Jesus is outside of our own thoughts and beings and hearts. And it's at the very core of special revelation is a surprising God known uniquely in his son. So I think that personal spirituality in our day is often mistaken and paired with this other side of the coin, which this guy I spoke to talked about, naturalism. And I think these things paired together cause a bit of a problem for Christians in the world and why we, we start to question whether we really need Jesus. I want to show you how personal spirituality, which we just talked about, interacts with the desire to follow naturalism in every other area of our life. Michael Horton writes in an article for Christianity Today that many have acted like there's this war that has taken place between reason and faith, and reason won. And now there's this peace treaty where reason and faith don't really interact. Reason is in the public realm, and it's of objective truth, while faith is relegated to the realm of private experience and private therapy. And this makes sense based on the conversation that I shared earlier with this young man in Uptown years ago. Religion is a conversation stopper in public arguments since it's based on private opinion. To be a rational person is to be a practical atheist. Whatever spiritual hobbies takes up on their, their own can be done on the weekends. Reason rests on public facts, faith on private values. When it comes to faith, you can believe whatever you want as long as you don't think it's true for everyone else. You can have faith in whatever makes you happy as long as you don't presume to evaluate my faith. After all, my faith is my own. It's deeply personal and not open to public inspection. And I think Christianity begins to buy into this. We reduce the gospel to Jesus in my heart, right? That phrase, that Jesus in my heart, which actually isn't even in the Bible, fits perfectly on this idea of subjective individualism, which our A's has relegated, to faith, relegated faith to. And this leaves us paralyzed, unable to understand the faith as more than personal therapy or a leap in the dark. So Christians then feel the need to try to make sense of Christianity rationally. We try to make it adhere to naturalism, which our culture calls reason. So we kind of have one extreme of Jesus in our heart and then the other extreme, which is, is we try to make Christianity completely rational and reasonable. So many Christians downplay biblical miracles. Maybe they describe prayer as, you know, meditating or practicing silence or think of the kingdom of God primarily as a manifesto for social reform or see Jesus primarily as a great teacher. Relegating Christianity to reasonable things, it opens the gate to kind of Christianity as good advice, not to miraculous good news. Your good deeds are okay, but creeds are dangerous. And the pressure to conform our faith to the rules of naturalism is powerful. So this person that spoke about their faith and said, whatever works for you, 
I could have easily said back to them, well, would you say that whatever works for you about World War II? I didn't say that. I didn't think of it in the moment, but uh, that World War II happened for me, but it didn't happen for you. Of course not. And most would say that it's different because World War II happened in history. It's a historical event. And I believe when we're answering the primary question of why we, do we need Jesus, we need to shift the conversation about faith from philosophical or moral claims to historical ones. Namely, as Paul wrote in Corinthians, that Jesus rose from the dead. And this is the statement that we are, are staking our lives on and our faith on, an historical event And it makes a difference because this claim that Jesus resurrected from the dead as a historical act would force the Christian faith out in the open beyond the walls of personal spirituality and expose it to public criticism. It would become a public faith. When we say we need Jesus, we aren't saying that because of private sentiments, though important, but we are basing these things on historical claims. Skeptics often say we can't not really know God, at least not in a rational way that we can put into words, but scripture tells us more than this, that God stoops to our capacity, accommodating our understanding. We know him according to his works, not simply by his essence. We know that Jesus is merciful, for example, because he's acted mercifully in history, in his life, and at the cross. We find God where he has descended to us in humility, of a feeding trough across in in frail human language. We desire to climb up to God through argument, experience, and activity, but God has climbed down to us, meaning us not in the high places we erect, but in the lowliest places, a barn, suffering our scorn, fellowshipping with sinners, and hanging on a cross. So I hope you stuck with me there. That was a lot. But I think what I'm trying to say is that we need Jesus because he is the truth. The God who has revealed himself in human history, who has come down to us, who has resurrected, defeating death, defeating sin, and defeating Satan. And the second point of why we need Jesus is the result of the first We need Jesus. We needed Jesus to come as a historical person and do historical things because we needed to be saved. All of us, every single one of us, has rejected God. We cannot climb to God through mysticism or speculation or works. In pride, we try to rise up to heaven through reason, but we are confronted by Jesus who descends to us in humility and self-sacrificial generosity. We seek truth within ourselves, but I think what that shows is that sin really ultimately is the sovereignty of self. We can define sin as the sovereignty of self. We are the center of all things instead of God being the center. We reject God in his way when we make ourselves the center of it all. 
Of course, many people reject the idea of sin, and it doesn't really go very well to talk about sin in our context and culture today. Maybe people would say, what we need is to care about injustice and inequality, and and our only real mistake is if we fail to be engaged as citizens of the world. But what we fail to understand and fail to take into account if we live in more of this naturalistic world is that when we look at justice and equality, it's not derived from natural means. We don't start, John Tyson used uh, this example in a sermon weeks ago. He says, we don't start with the universe starting out of nothing, a violent billion years of survival of the fittest that ends with the obvious notion that we should just be kind to one another. No, what many do is we take culturally appropriated truths from the Christian tradition, strip it of its context, and use it for our own secular purposes. And that happens a lot. It happens a lot in our context, in our culture. So justice, inequality, are coming out of a religious, and in particular, I believe, a Christian worldview. I think if we're honest, when we, get, when we talk about sin, if we get down to the core of what we really mean, we know the world is not right. I think almost everybody can admit that, right? That it's not right. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. We see certain things in the news. We see actions um, on our street and on our block and in our relationships that just seem wrong. And yet, this general understanding of wrongness in, in a general way isn't enough. We need a special revelation of Jesus because it, it's actually much more dire than we just see when we observe the world as being bad or not right. It goes beyond just this idea that we are a bit flawed. We don't just need a bit better moral compasses or better advice. The scriptures say that we need to be saved. That the Bible speaks of this reality of God's plan as a rescue project, that sin is so deep and that we are so delusional and self-focused and missing the mark that we are actually running from God. And we need a reality that exists outside of our sovereign self, don't we? And that puts the matter of faith squarely on the historical claims of the gospel, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Inward spirituality in the end doesn't work with the God that's revealed in Jesus Christ. Those that follow their own hearts and don't look at this objective reality make an, uh, an, an, an idol and, and self-focus. They don't realize that they have rejected God, that they've become absorbed with themselves. And what we need is a rescue from our misperceptions, our idolatry, our self-sovereignty, our rejection of God as the Alpha Omega and King of the world. So my third point of why we need Jesus is because what, how the Bible reveals that we need to be saved and how God does it. And he does it through love. We need Jesus because Jesus is love. I love the passage uh, in Luke 15 
It's one of my favorite parables. It's a parable about the lost sheep. I love this uh, passage because uh, it preaches well. It always kind of, you know, you, you see this idea of, and, and it shows the character and, and the, the love and the mercy and the pursuit of God is on full display. I want to read it for you now. Luke 15, starting in verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. The good news of Jesus is historically true. He really did live and die and resurrect. Then we know who God is. If that's true, then we know what God is like by looking at Jesus. And this passage is revealed that we are the sheep that have gotten lost and run off. See, I love this passage for other people to say, you've run off and you can find forgiveness and mercy and love in Jesus as he pursues you. But unless I admit the fact that I am just, I am the sheep, this one that's run off, I can't experience the fullness of God's love for me. The revelation of the Bible is not um, a God that has rejected you because of sin, but a shepherd who has sheep and, that, that, and the sheep has gotten lost. And this idea that the sheep has run off, the sheep has rejected God, the, the shepherd, the sheep has, um, has, has gone his or her own way. And the Bible says that Jesus is the good shepherd and he loves you so much that he has descended down to search for you. He is the one that's entered into the muck, who climbs hills, who crosses rivers and plains, who faces the danger of the wilderness at night and the ever-present danger of wild beasts ready to attack. He does this just to bring you back and bring me back into his loving arms, onto his shoulders and bring us back into the fold. He does this to rescue you and me from ourselves, from the lies, from the idolatry, from the self-sovereignty that believes that we don't really need a shepherd. I think because of our self-focus from, from our very birth, uh, we often, we, we have rejected the love of God. And we've rejected that love for so long that we don't even know what true love is, even when it comes to us at the cross. We are like children who didn't experience love at a young age, and we have grown up to perceive God's love as transactional. For example, we so desperately want to continue to contribute something to the deal, right? If I do this, then I'll receive that. My faith, my effort, my belief, my love, but God's love meets us where we're at and just asks us to receive. Maybe we perceive God's love as conditional. 
Isn't it hard to live in a world where we don't get what we deserve? I think we are so much more comfortable with karma than love, or more comfortable with karma than the gospel. We have grown up in a, and rejected God's love for so long that, that we believe that we have to seek and, 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 and try to find God's love. But we don't have to find God. This passage said God is looking for us. And lastly, I think our misperception of love is that we believe that love makes us vulnerable and weak and we want to resist it because we don't really need it. But this passage says without it, you are lost. You're caught up in, you, you, you are easily caught up in the storms of the wilderness as a prey to all the dangers of the world and without hope. This passage teaches us that we are the sheep that have run off. Jesus is searching for you. That love the love of God is the only way to survival. The love of God displayed in Jesus at the cross is a love that isn't conditional and it extends, in the midst, it extends to you in the midst of you running away. The love of God revealed in Jesus is the defining mark of Christianity. It is of the parable that Jesus leaves the 99 to go search for you. Don't we need this? Don't we need Jesus? Look at our last year. We've had conspiracy theories. We've had, we've had riots. We've had misinformation. We've had lies and loneliness and mental fatigue, anxiety, depression, injustice, inequality. I think it's clear that our own personal spirituality isn't working. Clearly our dreams of a societal utopia are quite honestly implausible. We need more than ever a Christianity that isn't fitted around whatever I think I need, but a historical event outside of our own self-sovereignty. We need the truth that Jesus is the one who descended to us, showed us what God is like, searched and found us, died for our sins, rose from the grave. We need a Jesus that loves us enough to come and descend to us to pursue us and find us. Amen? Let's pray. God, I ask today that we would recognize our deep need for you. God, that you are looking for us, that you're pursuing us. You have descended out of your nature of love to save us. And God, would we today believe and stand firm on the fact that you died and you rose again from the, the grave and that we can have salvation in you. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.